0: Well, we're in the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. We have now jumped of all things into the very scene of heaven itself. Just so you know, I was blown away when the angels called and asked if I would throw out the first pitch on Saturday. But you need to know Someone got injured, actually an uh, illness, and, and, and I'm, I wasn't first string, which is very normal. I'm okay with that. And, uh, and when Tim, Tim Mead, who I knew very well, um, called and said, John, I would love for you to do this. I, I, I was just beside myself. And, and he said, uh, who do you want to, uh, to catch? I mean, who do you want to throw, throw the pitch to? And I'm, I'm thinking, ah, I don't... I don't know what's going on with the Angels and the Dodgers anymore. I don't watch any of the games. I don't know who their catchers are. I have no idea. And so real quickly I thought, Tim, I want you to do it. (laughs) That's the only one I knew. I said, Tim, would you catch it? He said, oh, no, 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 no. He says, what what the men are doing, this is their 50th anniversary, and, and we've invited back players from the past to throw out a ball at every home game. And, and every one of the players that come have, have the right to choose whoever they want. And most of the guys are choosing a family member. And I said, can my son catch the pitch? And he said, yeah. And I said, oh, man, I got on the phone afterwards, called Johnny, told him. I said, we're going to be in the stadium, man. We're going to go throw, play catch at, in front of people. And, and then when, when Tim told me that and I could invite my son, I, I said to him, Tim, I don't want to be presumptuous in all of this, but would it be okay if my grandson... Uh, we're able to walk out in the field uh, with us, maybe with me on the Pitcher's Mount or with with his dad at home plate and, and see this and be a part of it. And he says, of course, uh, all of the family can come and be on the field. And so we're pretty excited about it at the Warehouse home. We're going to start playing catch real soon because <laughs> I had that rotary cup surgery and I, I can just see myself leave my arm right there on the plate, right on. <laughs> this, uh, somebody lift up his arm, his, Anyways, my my greatest fear is not be able to reach home plate. I want to be able to reach home plate. John just assured me that I can, so he and I are going to play catch just before the baptism today over to his house. I'm going to throw a couple of pitches to him. Anyways, that's enough of that. But I uh, thank you for the privilege of doing it. And and one of the things I said, I asked Tim, I said, Tim, I said, uh, there's nobody knows me that I played ball um, with, with any of these teams here. And he said, oh, on the contrary. He says, you're... He says, "What you have done, what you did on the chapel program, and 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 uh, for us, many people know." And, and I said, "Well, it would, if it wouldn't be kind, would you p- promote the Rock Community Church? Because I'm very proud of what God is doing in our church." And he said, "Yeah, I would." And so, that's the that's the hook that that really got me to want to be there, so that, that people in the community would know that there is our church and that that God is uh, moving in our midst. At least I. Hope they'll find that out on their own by coming and visiting. Well, we look, at, look with me at chapter 1. Let's refresh our memory. I'm going to mention it again, but I'll mention now. Last week, uh, my wife uh, went up to see uh, our children uh, up in, uh, in uh, Olympia, Washington. I, I did not go. Uh, I stayed back and... And so she visited and saw the church service that they're having up there as they're planning their church, and things are going very well. And, um, and so I, I took her to the airport Saturday night and had enough time to get here and sat right about where you folks are uh, to the message and heard uh, Rob Selleck preach the most wonderful message on an overcomer, on, what is it, um, uh, Ultra Nike or Uber Nike or something like that. It that you wrote me, Tim, something like that. And I... I um, I cannot even tell you how blessed I was. I, I mean, I, I walked out of church thinking, this is a great church. I, I would come here. This guy can preach. Boy, he is a good, good preacher. And then to think that uh, we have the, the potential of, of, of Dr. Ken Edwards coming on staff and, and, and uh, preaching for us. This man is such a communicator. And that he would, we, we just God is just blessing us. So I came to church and I was on fire. Boy, I walked out and Sunday morning woke up and went with my son and his daughter who she's on staff at their church and had a wonderful time. There's another good church in the community. It's in Newport area and, and the pastor was really good and did a great job and it was a, I enjoyed myself immensely and we went out to eat and, and the real reason I stayed back was uh, the following day, I, I, I was asked by my best of friend throughout college. We've been, we've remained good friends forever. And, and his daughter had given up kind of on life a little bit. And given up on, for sure, spirituality. But she wanted to investigate uh, mysticism and all of this. And he told her, no, you can't do that. And, and she said, I don't want to talk to anybody about religion. And, and then she said, the only one I would talk to is your friend Johnny. And so Bill told me that, and, and so I said, let's, let's make a time. And so we, we did, and it was Monday. And so I got to go and be in Malibu with his family on Monday, and I got to share with her, I don't know, maybe it was an hour, an hour and a half, I don't know. We talked for the longest time, and she asked some wonderful questions. And I tried the best of my ability to answer her, um, how it all began, and how Jesus Christ is everything to her. And so we had a wonderful, glorious time. And then afterwards, after rejoicing that, that she listened and really seemed to have some sort of hope in that and, and, and some sort of a, a, a desire to investigate further, we're going to get together some more. Um, then I got a chance to, to speak with, uh, with Bill's former wife. This is a whole long story. I won't even bore you with that one. But talked to her for about over an hour. Uh, about faith in Jesus Christ and and what it can mean in her life. She was raised um, in a Jewish family, and, but, but with no religious beliefs whatsoever. And I got a chance to tell her about her Messiah. I got a chance to tell her about how Jesus Christ has fulfilled everything for her and her, the nation of Israel. And she listened very intently, and it was a... It was a pretty, pretty interesting day. And I drove home from from Malibu and came back to home. And I, I just was rejoicing in the Lord that He would count me worthy to be able to share with these people. And I, I trusted that, that He would take everything that I said and make it right in their hearts. And, and that He would do the work in their lives. And I'm trusting in that. And so that's kind of why I stayed back and didn't go up to Olympia. And then during... That week is when I got the call from, from Tim to, uh, to consider doing, throwing out that pitch on the 11th. I, I, I asked him, I told him we we're all going to be there on the church on the 10th, and he said, come on. He said, what well, do you want me to arrange everybody's schedule for you? And No, 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 I, I'm fine with the 11th, I'm fine with the 11th. So um, I going do that. It would have been neat if the Lord had it on the 10th, though, but fine with the 11th. If you can come, fine. Fine. Um, if not, they might do a video of it. I'm not going to say I'm going to bore you with a video of it, but uh, we'll, we'll be able, you'll be able to see it somehow, some way. We'll post it or something. I don't know. I don't even know what I just said. Post it. Like I know what that means on a computer. I don't. All right. I asked you to turn to chapter one, and I want us to look at verse 19 again. Remember this book is divided into three parts. It is seen here in verse 19 of chapter 1, write, therefore, the Lord says to John, the things which you have seen, that's one part, and that was from verses 9, or verse 12 through 17. Also, he says, I want you to write the things which are, that was in chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches that we just completed studying. And now we are jumping into the things which shall take place after these things. And so if you jump with me to chapter 4 and you look at verse 1, it says, after these things, now we are on the third part, the the largest part of the division of this great book, the book of Revelation. Let me read with you this chapter from verses 1 through 11. Let's try to make sense of what would be very difficult to make sense of because John is explaining to us things that, that he has never seen before. He's trying to put into to words those things that, that one day you and I will see. But it, it, it is like, I, I would imagine, well, he uses simile, and, 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 and he tries to explain truly the unexplainable to us on this earth. Verse 1 of chapter 4, After these things I looked, and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and, and a sardis in appearance, And there was a a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. The third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth... Fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was, and who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever. And they will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our our, our, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they exist and were created. It's amazing. John did the best he knows how to explain to you what he saw. Listen, John walked with Jesus Christ. There is no doubt, as we're gonna see, there's no doubt upon who that is, who is sitting on that throne, who that is, who is God Almighty. It is the one who is and who was and who is to come. That was the title that Jesus Christ gave for himself. That is him sitting on this throne. And John knew him well, but here he is trying to explain what he looks like. Like he says a Jasper stone, a, a Sardis, an, an emerald, there's a rainbow. I mean, it's just it's just beyond. It's 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 trying to explain something that he has never ever seen before. It ought to make you and me just like a kid, just waiting for Christmas, just to see what does that look like. I, I personally cannot wait, cannot wait to take that all in, to see what does that look like, the majesty of it all. And so as Anthony said, as we were singing this morning, um, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to try to encourage you to, to us to be a people that worship God correctly. We're going to see that at the end they were shouting out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come, and worthy are you, O Lord. I I want us to see the magnitude of that, that we have the privilege of doing that now, today. And so we're going to close this service out with a song. And Anthony and the group will come back up. But before we do, let's try to explain this the best I know how. And I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to try to fool you into thinking I know more than what I do. I'm going to tell you what I've studied and I want to I expect you to take in these things that you're learning. And, and like the Bereans, to open up the scriptures and daily study to see if these things that we are saying are true or not. See what you feel about it. But I think we can surmise quite a bit out of this wonderful chapter. Let's pray, and let's do so. Father, please, open up our eyes so that we might, by the grace of an almighty God, behold wonderful things from your word, the law of God. And Father, would you please help us to make sense of all of this. But rather than to understand it all, you know, just like two and two is four, let us see the importance of our being obedient children of yours that we can experience and know the wonders of who you are right here, right now, today, and we can be an example, like those who are going to the Dominican or to Russia or to Latin America, that they would take the good news of of good tidings into people uh, that perhaps hadn't heard about you before, Father. So we can do the same in our lives. Each of us have that wonderful privilege being a representation, an ambassador of yours. Please bless us, Father. Move me way aside this time, Father. Just way aside. Let us see what John writes to us and make sense of that the best we can, Father. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The New Testament records two different visits to heaven. Paul... In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us he went into the third heaven, the abode of God. But Paul said he was not allowed to speak what he saw. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. I said first, did I? 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 4. Paul said, I was caught up into paradise and I heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak Well, John here in the book of Revelation, on the other hand, had the privilege of visiting heaven as well. But unlike Paul, John was permitted to give a detailed account of what he saw. Now from the the book of Revelation, from the fourth chapter to the 22nd chapter, John records this third great division. The first was, as I mentioned, when he explained that Jesus Christ, the best he knew how, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Then he explained what the church is to be like, the downfall of churches, the blessings and the warnings to churches in chapters 2 and 3. That was the things which are. Now he is going to take us into heaven itself and beyond. And so John begins, as we just read in verse 1, saying, After these things, now John is transferred into heaven itself. And he wrote, I looked, and behold, he says in verse 1, there is a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard. Now you remember in chapter 1 and in verse 10, John says in verse 10 in chapter 1, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he says in chapter 1 verse 10, I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. And so he says here in chapter 4 and verse 1, he says the first voice that I had heard, that was the one in chapter 1 verse 10, like the sound of a trumpet, spoke with me and said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Now the voice we know for sure is Jesus Christ. And so with this statement, you and I are brought into the very throne room of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, to preview what what is going to take place. Now, we studied the seven churches. It would be wise for you and me to try to remember there was the church at Ephesus, there's the church at Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and there were warnings and blessings going out to each church. For instance, in Ephesus, they were told, Don't leave your first love. Smyrna said, Look, you're going to go through trials, but fix your eyes on Jesus, not your circumstances. Pergamum was warned. Don't compromise, Thyatira says, don't tolerate. Don't compromise nor tolerate sin within the body of Christ or within our lives. Sardis was told, wake up. Strengthen the things of God within your church and within your lives. The church of Philadelphia was simply said to remain faithful. Hold fast to the things that you have. And then lastly we saw in Laodicea, they were given the strongest warning, in my opinion, and that is, do not become lukewarm or indifferent to the things of God. And so with that, we now step into heaven itself. Now I want to tell you something that is extremely important concerning the rapture of the church. From this point... From, from chapter 4 until chapter 19, the church is not mentioned again. We, we see brethren mentioned. We see saints mentioned. We see those who come out of the great tribulation, who are clothed in white robes, washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. But from here on out to chapter 19, you will not find the word church mentioned again. Now many believe it's because the church is gone. The church now has been raptured. It is with John, representative with John in heaven. And we are now not referred to as the church, but we are now called the Bride of Christ. And could it be that during this period, from chapter 4 to chapter 19, comes the marriage supper of the Lamb? I don't know. But the only reference to the church by name on earth comes in chapter 17, and it is called the Great Harlot. It's the false church, because I believe all true believers have been raptured into heaven itself. So John says in verse 1, I looked, and there was a door standing open in heaven. Now from this point, again, to chapter 19, verse 11, when John saw the door open up, and Jesus Christ coming out of heaven, riding on a white horse, and and with us following, well, the saints following behind him, to, to put judgment upon the earth. It is, it is when the when the doors of heaven are open, but from chapter 4 to chapter 19, the doors of heaven are not opened. The indication implies that heaven, this door, is closed tight during this time. Could it be like the rapture? Could it be, like some have said, like uh, Noah and the ark, and how when, when the flood came and when Noah got into the ark, then the Lord God closed the door and no one could open it? I don't know. I'm just trying to throw out food for thought. Note in verse 1, the voice which John heard was like that first voice he heard back in chapter 1 verse 10, like the sound of a trumpet that is speaking to him. Jesus is telling John what is about to take place as he was seated upon his throne. Another thing, the word seated there does not imply that he is resting. Some would say he is now in heaven resting. He is not. He is still reigning in heaven. He is in control. And he is seated in heaven, reigning in heaven, and he will come back again, as we learned in chapter 19, he will come back again to judge the earth of sin. And what is the sin? The sin is complete denial of Jesus Christ. To not accept Him as your Lord and Savior, is the sin of this world. And so for those of you who are here that are not certain if you've ever asked Christ in your heart, please beg of you, don't put it off. That's the sin that our Lord's going to come. Those who do not accept Him or who deny Jesus Christ, for those of us who are believers, we sin. Our, Our dealing with sin is is on a daily basis, on a moment-to-moment basis, when we realize and recognize that we have sinned. We ask our Lord to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, so that we can be back in fellowship with Him, and be used mightily by Him in and through our lives. And So you and I, as a believer, we, we go to 1 John 1, 9, where if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. That's not a to forgive us our sins. That's not a a statement to believers, excuse me, unbelievers. That's a statement to believers to, to ready themselves, to, to be, to be purposed in their lives so that we can walk righteously with God and be used by Him mightily. So He's going to come again. He's going to come to judge the world of sin. But right now He is still reigning in heaven And so John, in verse 2, says, In the Spirit, that refers to His being spiritually transferred by Jesus into His heavenly home. Much like the church is going to be, we are told, when it is raptured. In in Revelation chapter 17, verse 3, it says that, John says, He he was carried away, again, transferred in the Spirit. Now what we're going to see from here on out is, is human words are are not adequate enough to try to explain what John is seeing. So John is going to use similes, a figure of speech, if you would, to try to convey what he sees. John sees, in verse 2, a throne standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. Now verse 8, the last part of verse 8 tells us, The one who is sitting on the throne is the Lord God, the Almighty. The one who was, and who is, and who is to come. Now that's the title that Jesus Christ gave for Himself. That's Jesus sitting on this throne. It's, you, you have to want to miss that Jesus Christ is God to miss it. It's too It's too apparent. Look at verse 11. It points out to his deity, the one who sits on the throne. Worthy are you, O our Lord and our God, to receive glory, honor, power, because you created all things. And because of your will, they exist and were created. And if you take yourself back to John, the Gospel John, The first chapter, the first verse. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was, you know, God. He was in the beginning with God. Meaning the Word. And all things came into being by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that had come into being. About 12 verses later, I think it's the 14th verse, it says, And the Word became flesh... And dwelt among us, talking about Jesus. And so there is no denying that this one who is sitting on the throne that John sees is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And so John tries to describe him seeing him in heaven. Now he knew him on earth, but now he says in verse 3, he is like, in other words, it's a simile. It's like I, I know him but I don't recognize him." He says he was sitting is like a a jasper stone. That that implies it's a diamond, but a crystal clear like diamond. The reason we know that is you take Scripture to verify Scripture, and especially if you can go in the same book. And so in Revelation chapter 21, verse 7, verse, uh, excuse me, verse 10. Chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 10. It said he was carried away, John says, I, I was carried away in the spirit, there he is being transferred again to a great and high mountain, and then in verse eleven says, Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper, And so there it is. The one back in chapter four, verse three, the one who is sitting on the throne is like a jasper stone, like a, a crystal clear diamond, if you would." And he's also like a Sardis in appearance. And, 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 and there's a rainbow around his throne. And, and, and the rainbow was like an emerald in its appearance. This is the best that John can do to try to explain our Lord's glorious appearance before him. Now, verse 4, we see along with the rainbow, there are 24 thrones by Jesus, this throne of his, with twenty-four elders sitting on these thrones, and they are clothed in white garments, and they have golden crowns upon their heads. Now let's jump back, the rainbow. God said long ago in Genesis chapter 9, after he caused a flood upon the earth, that he would set a rainbow in the sky as a sign, a covenant, a promise with mankind that he would never destroy the earth again by flood. Now the rainbow could be, along with its beauty, could be a visible reminder of God's faithfulness to us as human beings. But even more importantly, who are these 24 elders on 24 thrones that are sitting there with Him? This could be, I think, another key to when the church, you and I, when we get raptured, If on these 24 thrones, on 24, if they're angels, that's one thing. But if they are people who represent the church, that's quite another thing as far as the rapture is concerned. So what do we know of them? Well, John writes, they're called elders. They are also sitting on thrones, they are clothed in white garments, and there are golden crowns upon their heads. Now both in the Jewish and Christian history, the, an elder refers to that uh, a leader within the body or congregation of people. Elders uh, are generally the key decision makers for God and are responsible to carry out the will of God within the, the whole of God, within the church, within the body of believers. Remember in, in, we, we did this a few times in Revelation chapter seven, and, and and the thirteenth verse. An elder comes to John, an elder comes to John and asks him, who are these that are clothed in white robes? And where do they come from? John says, I don't know. Don't know. And so the elder tells him, he says, they are, Believers, he said, they are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So obviously, these folks who come out of the great tribulation, they're not the ones who are identified on the 24 thrones, the 24 elders. They're separate from them. But importantly, as we noted... they they are not angels either. It says in in the 7th chapter, the 11th verse, that all the angels are standing around the throne, note, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God. So, Who then are these 24 elders? Well, Scripture allows you and I to argue, and I think believe very strongly, that they are church age believers. In other words, you and me. People who have trusted in Jesus Christ from the day of Pentecost, back in Acts chapter 2, until the taking of the church home to be in heaven, which many would say is is the church at Philadelphia. Remember the Lord's words to the church at Philadelphia? He says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will keep you from that hour of testing which is going to come upon the whole world. So maybe it's them. Maybe it's us. Another key, 24, is a key word. In First Chronicles, the Old Testament, chapter 24, We are given a list of priests who come out from the line of Aaron. There are 24 families to represent the priests, the whole body of them. And then in 1 Chronicles chapter 25, the next chapter, it talks about musicians who march alongside of the 24 family of priests, And they, the musicians, in chapter 25 of 1st Chronicles, are divided into 24 divisions, each one divided and marching with the 24 families. So what it implies, in my opinion, is that the number 24 was used in Scripture to represent the whole, the whole body. Therefore, I don't think it's too great a stretch to say to you this morning that to believe that these 24 elders represent the whole, the completed church age believers seated before God on their throne in heaven is not too far-fetched. They have been raptured. But perhaps the greatest key is, is not all of that. The greatest key is... Who they are, and what are they wearing, and where do they sit? Well, we see clearly in verse 4, they wore white garments. They wore golden crowns on their heads. They are seated on thrones. It's not just a coincidence that Jesus Christ just took us through chapters 2 and 3, and explained the seven churches. And in chapters 2 and 3, to each church, he says, there are a group of people who overcome. The lesson that Rob taught us so beautifully last week about overcomers. And to each one of the church who overcomes, the Lord makes mention three times in chapters 2 and 3. He says, they'll be seated on thrones with him they will be clothed in white garments, and that they will be wearing golden crowns, or the crown of life, upon their heads. So it appears to me that the twenty-four elders shall be us, the church, from the day of Pentecost until the Lord takes us home in rapture to be with them, all of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, I must say this, only time, and our Lord Himself will confirm whether this view is correct or not. I don't know. I'm only giving you my thoughts of what I studied, and and I'm, I'm throwing it for you to take a look at, to open up your Bible like the Bereans, to see. What do you think? What does it have to say in your heart? Because in reality, you need to study the Bible for yourself. You need to feel secure in what you believe. And you can't just say everything that, that I say, or, or what Kent might say next week, or what Rob said last week is, is perfectly okay. No. Study for yourself. Examine the Scriptures to see if these things are so. Regardless, regardless of what, it shouldn't change how we live our lives t- today. You see, there's more around the throne. Watch. Verses 5 through 11. This is magical to me. We see in verse 5, there are flashes of lightning. There's sounds, John says. There are peals of thunder, John says. The simplest explanation for this is the great judgment of God is one day to come. In the Old Testament, these things, thunder, lightning, were common, uh, were a common manifestation of the divine presence of God. When, when Moses was on Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments, he heard and saw these things. We also see in verse 5 an uh, amazing, amazing event. It's, it really cannot be captured just in print. It says that John saw seven lamps of fire burning. Now those lamps aren't just like a, a candle. It's, it's like more the sun. It, it, the, in, in the Greek, the, the, the seven lights are like, are, are, I, just, I can't explain it. It's like lights beyond lights. It's brighter than, than you can, and I can even imagine And he says they are before the throne and they are the seven spirits of God. And there will be a a slide up here. We saw in chapter 1, chapter 3, we'll see in chapter 5 and chapter 8, these are the seven angels, the seven spirits of God, standing ready at His every call and His every whim. Then we see in verse 6, Before the throne there were, as it were, John says, a sea of glass like crystal. And again, John uses a simile this crystal-like sea of glass could stand for the holiness of our God, His purity or His omniscience. It also could stand that nothing is hidden from His sight. The clearness, this crystal-like sea of glass that He can see through, either below or above or beyond, is is an indication that God sees all. And then in verse 6 it says, In the center and around this throne there are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. That's the best that John can do. He says they have, in verse 8, six wings so that they can fly. And day and night, John writes, they, they do not cease to say praises to their God, continually saying, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the One who was, the One who is, and the One who is to come. The very title of our Lord. Now, who are these four living creatures? Well, again, you'll see on, on the note, there's, in chapter 4, we see it here in verse 9, but in chapter 5, verses 8, 11, and 14, and in chapter 6, verse 6, they are also mentioned in the Old T- Testament, in Ezekiel and Isaiah. Ezekiel identifies them as angels. He calls them seraphim. Isaiah calls them angels, but he calls them ser- No, excuse me. Ezekiel calls them cherubim. Isaiah calls them seraphim. That's the highest order of angels. And so again we see a simile. Their appearance is like a lion. It's like a calf, a man, or a flying eagle. To tell you what that means exactly, we can only speculate. All of the angels of God are with him. In verses 6 and 8, they're in the center, and they're around the throne. They're full of eyes in front and behind, and they never cease to praise God. Could it be, I'm just throwing this out, could it be that they are the very worship leaders in heaven? The ones who inspire all creatures to praise God, as seen in verses 9, 10, and 11. You see, in verses 9 and 10, their praise to God, look, causes all of the 24 elders, the whole of the body as I see it, to fall down before God. And to cast our crowns before His throne. Who are they, these four creatures? It says they're like a lion. Well, commentaries say it could speak to their power or their bravery. Who knows? They're like a calf or an ox. It, speaks to, it could be like their patience or their strength. I'll tell you why I kind of had some doubts. Because it says, being a man, it couldn't speak to their intelligence. You've got to be kidding me. We are so stupid. No, I am, I guess. To an eagle, it could speak to their swiftness. No matter. It doesn't matter, really. What matters is they lead us in the worship and praise of God. As they either say, or they speak, or they sing worship. And they say, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Because you created everything. Because of your will, everything exists and was created. I wrote a note to myself that I want to share with you and I want you to think through. When I got to this point in the message, I thought to myself, why do I live? What's what's my purpose in life? May I say to you, the best I could figure out, my purpose in life is to be a a couple things I wrote down. I want to be a I want to be a good husband. I want to go out strong. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a grandpa, a good grandpa. But more than all of that, I want to live the rest of my life in praise and worship of my God. I want my kids, my wife, my family, and my friends to see that I love the Lord. And I thought to myself, we all have the honor of praising and worshiping God in heaven. We will do that, it says. We will throw our crowns before His thrones, and we will sing out, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God. And I thought, since we are going to do it in heaven and we have the privilege of doing it now, why should we not do it with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might? I'll close this in prayer. Father, You're worthy. You're worthy to receive our glory, our honor, Father, you're worthy of all things. So we sing with all who in that day would say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who was and who is and is to come. Father, bless us as we go from here. We pray for the baptism, Father, that you'll make it a real precious time in the lives of those who are being baptized. And for everyone else here, Father, thank you for the privilege of being a part of this great, great, wonderful church. I thank you for all things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all. Have a great day.